Welcome to Tech Talk Online, sponsored by Stratford University. You can listen to Tech Talk Live Saturday mornings from 9 till 10. Find us online at federalnewsradio.com or hear us on the radio in the Washington, D.C. area on the following frequencies, 1500 AM and 1039 FM HD2. We thank you for listening to Tech Talk Radio. Interfacing complete. Please stand by. Now downloading Tech Talk Radio with Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Tech Talk Radio, it's technology you can understand. And now, here are Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We are in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University. I'm Dr. Richard Schertz. And I'm Jim Russ. And it's been lots and lots of interesting stuff going on in technology this week. We got new iPhones on the way. We do. Yeah, and we heard about Japan is going to start doing testing on some preliminary space elevator work. Yeah, that ought to be interesting. Which, and the U.S. has finally charged North Korea for the Sony breach and the WannaCry virus. Mm-hmm. So lots of stuff going on. And, of course, we're this week we're going to feature the man, Ira Fuchs, who is the co-founder of BitNet, which mm-hmm. was an important precursor to the Internet. Interesting. And it was a huge Huge mailbag. It was indeed. There's a letter in your mailbox. Ooh, right on time. Right on cue. The way we got an email be. from Dennis in Baltimore. Dear Doc and Jim, I'm trying to get a job in technology and I'm having trouble. They want experience. And I can't get experience without a job. This is a chicken and egg problem. What comes first, the experience or the job? I'm stuck in a rut. Help. Dennis in Baltimore. Well, Dennis, this is a classic problem, but you... You have made the classic mistake. No one said the experience had to be paid. That's right. You don't have to be paid for your experience. And in fact, whenever I hire an IT person or I've got an IT student, if they don't have a lab in their house where they're installing servers, playing around with computers, setting up stuff, I don't think they're serious IT people. So you need to get serious with some projects at home. Now, you can pick any project you're interested in. You could install a Linux, Linux operating system. If you've got a laptop you could, you, and, you don't, and you want to have two operating systems on it, you've got Windows, you could basically set up VMware, and then you can install the Linux machine as a virtual machine on your laptop. That's really good experience, and then you're actually doing something. Once you set up a Linux machine, you could, uh, you could set up a firewall, and you could actually set up a proxy server, and you could make your own firewall that goes out to the Internet using the, um, using the, the, the Linux server. You, you could set up an Apache web server, um, once you, which you install that on Linux, and then you could, you could then set up the, a PHP scripting language engine. You could install MySQL, which is a um, relational database. All this software is free. It's free. Set that up. You could set up your own web page. Uh, you could be data, database-driven website using PHP, talking to MySQL. You could basically get a, um, a domain name. You could set up your own website. You could set up, run it right out of your basement. <clears throat> All of these things are things that you could do. You could download Ethereum, which is one of the new, new blockchain platforms. It's got a scripting language on top of it. You could start making a little simple blockchain application. Actually, anything that interests you, 
You just work on it. And if you don't have an interest in anything, I propose that you're in the wrong field. You should not go into IT. Yep. Mm -hmm. You pick your interest. Now, the other thing that you want to do, you want to act like a professional. So you join user groups. So like there's a Linux user group, there's a Mac user group, there's an Oracle user group, there's a MySQL, there are user groups everywhere. Join user groups. These user groups are populated with professionals in the field. Now what you want to do when you go to the meetings there is you want to volunteer, help with the meetings, just become an active participant in the use, act like a professional. And when you're working on your projects, talk to them about your projects. What I don't want you to do is go to the user groups and start trying to get a job. Nobody will talk to you. Talk about your projects. Communicate your interest in IT. Communicate how you're willing to try new things and learn new things and are always driving yourself, pushing the envelope. Those are the skill sets that people want. What you'll discover when you go to the user groups and start interacting with them and working on your projects, they'll help you with the projects. But then when a job comes open, they're going to remember you. They're going to say, hey, you know, remember that guy? And you'll end up getting jobs without ever asking for it. You want to read industry magazines. Uh, these are the industry rags that are projecting where everything is going because you want to have a sense of where the field is going, what's worth learning. It makes you an interesting person to talk to when you meet other IT professionals because these are the same magazines that they read. So the key is act like you are already an IT professional and you will get the job. Okay, we got an email from uh, Adela Kun Aken Sola. On Facebook. Good luck with that. Well, Nicely thank done. you. It's a Facebook message. Please educate me on how to protect my bank account against fraudsters using the Internet. Well, Adel Aachen? Adel Aachen? What, what do you think that is? Adel Aachen? I think, I think you're probably as close I'm do, as you're going to get. I'm doing my best. Us. We're doing, well, yes. <clears throat> well, here's the thing. Um, one, of the, um, golds, one of the gold star hits for... Uh, people, hackers, is trying to get credentials to bank accounts because if they can get into an online bank account, they can they can bleed your money out like that. So what you're going to want to do, first of all, is set up two-factor authentication. It's extremely important. So even if they have your password, your, your password, there's a code sent to either your email account or to your cell phone. And then you have to enter in that secondary code. It's normally six digits. And you can't be guessing at it. You've got to enter in that code. And then when you enter in the second factor, you're into the, you're into the account. So even if they guess your password, even if they hack in and find your password, they'll still have to have the second factor. Then if you've got a um, – to really protect yourself, if you have a um, – <clears throat> If you have a, a, a GSM phone with a SIM card, you want to make certain that the phone company is not going to transfer your number to another phone. Some phone companies have been known to do that, and they've and people have been able to capture the second factor authentication when these when the number was transferred to another phone. So I would go to the phone company and say you do not want to have your number transferred unless you give them a code. You know that's that's very important because this SIM card hijacking has been used to steal accounts and get the second factor authentication. So if you've got, say, millions of dollars in your bank account, it may be worth somebody doing that, so you'd want to do that. So that would be the 
the second thing I would do. And of course, your core password, you make it, you make it a very long password. Now, the, the final thing that I would recommend, I never actually do any banking transactions from public Wi-Fi, from, uh, <clears throat> from any public Wi-Fi um, connection, because I've just assumed that people are going to sniff out my password. Uh, I just think it's going to happen. Now, most of the most of the bank logs under HTTPS. That means they're they're encrypted, but you're you're really never sure. If I have to do banking when I'm overseas, I'll set up my VPN. I'll set up a VPN first before I log into my bank account, and then I'm then I'm okay. And then I've got the issue though is when I'm overseas, I can't get the second factor authentication because my, I may have a different cell phone number overseas. So that's a small problem. So my bank account is set up so that I can send the second factor authentication to my email address. Now that means that my bank account is then as secure as my email account. So I got to make certain that I've got a secure password on my email account and I don't want it to be the same password. So those are just a few tips to protect your bank account. You could also you also want to set up notifications if you can set up notifications on your bank account. If there are any transactions above a certain amount, you're immediately notified. Uh, you, you could, you could, they have a number of protective notifications. I would turn on all those notifications. We got an email from Richard in Rockville. Hello, Richard and Jim. Richard and Jim. Thank you for <laughs> lots of Richards. Yeah, going that's on what here. I'm thinking. Thank you for a very <laughs> informative and enjoyable Saturday morning show on WFED. I do not have a cable TV, and I do all my TV viewing over the air using a simple rabbit ear hookup. Since I have an upper floor on a high-rise with a window facing northeast, I get to get all the Baltimore stations clear as a bell. Best regards, Richard in Rockville. Well, Richard, you are one of the lucky guys who can get HDV TV, HDTV over the air because this digital television is actually, actually higher resolution than cable. When you get over the air HDTV, you're getting 1080, 1080 lines. Your typical cable picture is only 720. So you've got higher resolution with over-the-air television. Which means more data. More data, yeah. And that means it's harder. And because it's digital, you either have the signal or you don't. That's right. Now, what I do... Is uh, is I take my and I've got over the but I'm not such I've got I had to go up to my attic I had to set up a big antenna because my house was kind of in a hole and so it was a big project but once I got it then I took my antenna and I plug I pop it into Tableau which I really like and then Tableau can actually it's basically like a deep first of all it it streams it over Wi-Fi so any TV in the house can 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 get the over-the-air television from that one antenna at the other th- also my cell phones can get the TV my my iPads can get the TV any device in the house can can, can get the over-the-air television not just the television but what I really like about it, I, I plug on a four gigabyte hard drive and, and it turns out to be a DVR and it will record up to four channels at the same time and so because when you start getting all of this over the air television you know there are a lot of sub channels there's just a lot of material out there you're probably mm-hmm. getting 20 channels yep. so so that the one problem with over the air television you can't dvr anything but with uh, with tableau you can very easily dvr but congratulations on your over the air television so not only are you in a low spot but you have a moat around your house too for safety don't that's you that's right i mm-hmm. do and i i've got a big uh, you know i've got to you know take care of my wi-fi so people don't you know hack into me i've got i've got real issues over there <laughs> 
you know, I, I can hack everybody around me, but I don't want anybody to hack me. Of course me. not. That's, you know, that's, uh, you know. That would be bad. That would be really bad. We got an email from Geosynchronous. Hey, Doc and Jimbo. <laughs> don't call me Jimbo <laughs> this ever. Is, this is Geosynchronous. I've been catching and up. I don't care who you are. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. Well, you know, when David Bird was here, you know, you know the one word he hated? What's that? Birdman. Oh, oh, he yeah. hated that. You call him that, you, he'll throw you out of the room. Jimbo and Jimmy, and it's a trip to Knuckle Junction, I'm telling you. <laughs> I've been catching up on some old shows by working backwards on your most recent offerings. He's, he's been going to, to the website. I'm listening at 2x the speed. See, so he can listen to an hour show in 30 minutes. <laughs> You know that is that okay, is pretty there's something clever. Wrong here. That is no, that's actually pretty that's clever. clever. But I think my head would explode. You know, is he, is he saying that we're just too slow? Is that is that a, is that a back? Well, I think we should talk, Let's start talking faster. <laughs> I don't think. So. And so then he said, "I made it just back." Just think you could cram two hours of stuff into one hour if we just yeah. talked faster. He said, "I made it back to February 2018." But here's the rub: all the shows prior to that show up as unavailable via Apple Podcast. What? Yeah, can you check to see if that can be fixed? I need my favorite show. P.S. If I can't, if it can't be fixed, you might have an existing FTP endpoint for bulk downloading. Well, much, much love, much love, geosynchronous. If he hadn't called me Jimbo, I would have sent him this, the, the, the the podcast. But that's okay. Yeah. That's okay. Now here's that's the okay. here's the thing, Geo. You can, <laughs> you can, you can get these things. See what you're you're going to the Apple Podcast, which is like a secondary website. You can go straight straight to the podcast feed, and it's got everything directly linked on it. That would be techtalk.stratford.edu slash RSS slash techtalkradio.xml. XML stands for uh. extensible markup language. That's actually the file that I write every Saturday when, I, when, I, when I'm posting Tech Talk. Now, it also turns out that all the shows are stored in exactly the same format. So you can actually put in the exact date of the show and just get it directly, and so it's uh, it's a very long thing here. You'll uh, you will actually if you go to the XML podcast, uh, you can just click on that and you'll see the date on the show. That'll be very easily done, and then you can just click in any date you want and you can download it directly. I'm having my IT department check out why the. Um, why the why the Apple Apple podcast only goes back so far? It may be that they've just set it up where, where they only go back so far because they, you know they they're going back say six months. Maybe maybe Apple just doesn't want to does doesn't want to have the podcast go back any further than that, even if the XML file does. So all of these links will be on the show outline, which will which will post uh, this weekend after the show. Good. Uh, we got an email from Richard in Rockville. Yeah, Hello. another Richard. Yeah. Is that? Is it the same letter? Oh yes, this, no, it's the same Richard. Is it, it's it's the same Richard, but it's a different letter. Don't. <clears throat> it's a different letter. Yeah, a lot of talk shows only allow somebody to call once per show, but we're not like that here. We're not like that. Maybe no. I'll do Richard's. I'll do Richard's next next week, so that we don't have it. Uh, so that we won't have this two two Richards on the same I, show. Richard, I'm sorry, I got sorry. you into trouble. You got me. Yeah. So we're we're gonna we're just gonna flip Richard's uh, Richard's second email to next week. Richard we, may be flipping us right now. We got an email from Lois in Kansas. Dear Doc and Jim, I'm planning on giving up my old Windows 10 laptop to my nephew. But I'd like to remove all the personal data. Probably a good idea. All the personal data from the hard drive <laughs> before giving it to him. How can I do that reliably? Love the podcast, Lois in Kansas. 
Well, it's kind of difficult to get rid of all the data. Windows stores so much information in so many places that it's nearly impossible to know where to delete it. Now, the safest approach is to is to go in and just wipe that hard drive clean. Just 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 basically reformat it and do a security wipe, and there's nothing left. Then you can reinstall Windows from scratch, and then you are certain that you've erased absolutely everything, including all your personal data. But then you have to reinstall all the applications, and I hope you've kept all the licenses. And you reinstall all the applications, and then you are good to go. Now, kind of a, another way to do it, which is not quite as uh, secure, you could actually, but it's easier, you could create a new Windows user. Go in there under user, create a new Windows user, give the new Windows user, user administrative privileges, then log out of your existing account, log into the newly created account, and then delete the old account completely. Now, that will delete all of the data which is stored in the old account in the proper location. But there could be some data that is stored within applications, say shared data that's outside of the Windows default locations. So then you've got to look at all the various applications and all the caches that are there relating to Microsoft Word, waiting to the browser, to make certain that there's nothing that you can see within those applications. You may have to look at several places, so it's a little more difficult, and you're never perfectly sure that you've got it all, but you've probably got most of it. Mm-hmm. We got an email from Brian in Kansas. Dear Doc and Jim, I just bought a new HDTV, and I was looking at all of the options, and I'm trying to figure out what does this game mode on the monitor mean, and what does it do? Huh. Uh, you know, I'm just trying to figure out, should I, imp- should I do it or should I not do it to it? Well, let's talk about the game mode. Modern displays, ha- uh, you know, have computers built into them. This means that unlike this, the old-style monitors that were just cathode ray tubes, they don't deliver the Im- image instantly. There's a delay between when the display receives the signal from the cable and when it's rendered on the screen. That's the amount of time that it takes all those electronics to process the image. They might, you know, they might scale the image. They might, they might, they might change. They might change the color pattern. They, you know, the the color palette. So they do various uh, image processing on it before they display it, and that takes time. Now the input lag is generally between five and ten milliseconds on most modern liquid crystal displays. Now, if your TV's audio is synced correctly, your brain doesn't even notice, you know, 5 or 10 milliseconds. But input of a huge lag can be a problem if you're playing a game. See, a hundredth of a second, which would be 10 milliseconds, is in a fast-paced game might be the difference between your punch landing on the opponent or not. So it could be death. It could be death. So so 10 milliseconds in a fast-paced game may not work. So when you enable game mode, it strips away the processing, and it just so it doesn't do all that fancy processing to make the picture look better. It just shoots it to the screen. And so generally this means that you can go from 10 millisecond lag down to, say, 6 millisecond. If you get really a high-end TV, one that uh, you know one that's made for gaming, you can get the, the, the speed all the way down to 1 millisecond. So... That's really, um, that, but uh, th- so that's primarily what you do. Now, some TVs that just want to look like they're higher tech than they are, they also have a game mode. But really, the game mode has nothing to do with input lag. It just changes to another color profile that the game might look better. <laughs> so they're just trying to fake you out. You have to be careful. You've got you to be careful. The, You've uh, got to be specs. careful. Listen, we love your emails. 
Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu, and we'll get back to you immediately if it's an emergency, or we'll certainly get back to you at the next show, unless you send two emails, and then it might take more than one show. Then one will be embargoed. Yes. There you go. It's Saturday morning. You're listening to Tech Talk Radio on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM, 103.5 FM HD 2, 103.9 FM HD 2. Learn more about us by going to stratford.edu, and you can watch us do the program by downloading the Periscope device to your uh, app to your device and then following us at WFED Tech Talk. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has experienced IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with a Accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with the future in cybersecurity. Learn more about Stratford's up to $15,000 IT scholarship competition. Application deadline is September 30th for those who qualify. Register today at stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. Now it is time for... Profiles in IT. Yes, today we're going to feature Ira H. Fuchs. Ira H. Fuchs is best known as co-founder of BitNet. That's an important precursor to the Internet, which, which connected universities and academic institutions. He was inducted into the Internet Hall of Fame in 2017. Now, Ira was born December 1948 in Queens, New York. His passion for network communication began as a radio ham radio operator. Hmm. He just loved to get on the ham radio there in Queens. And as a teenager, he talked to people all over the world from his bedrooms there, from his bedroom there in Queens, New York. And he just loved the idea of linking up with people and networking with them over the air. You know, a number of your people have uh, had ham radios that yeah. you featured in profiles in IT. It's kind of a you know, it's, it's they, a bit of a theme. It's, yeah, it's kind of you know, people that are sort of nerdy kind of technology. Yeah. They're, they're mm -hmm. sort of they sort of gravitate toward ham radio. Now, Ira, <laughs> Ira received his B.S. in applied physics. In 1969, and his master's science in computer science and electrical engineering in 1976 from Columbia University there in New York City. Now, he became interested in computers in the 60s while studying physics at Columbia. See, he's another physics guy. Mm -hmm. I know you like I, the physics guy. I do. Guys. I really do like physics guys. It was a time when mainframes were becoming important to academia. So mainframes were there, and there, there, at that time, there were, it, with these are IBM mainframes. There are a lot of IBM mainframes there. This was a little bit before Unix had penetrated the academic world. Now, during his master's degree, 
he was introduced to email and advanced networking systems there on the on the campus. So he just sort of migrated and just loved it. So in 1973, when he was only 24 years old, he was appointed as the first executive director of the Computer Center at the City uh, City uh, University at New York, CUNY. And he was at, he was served as that executive director of the Computer Center until 1980. And then he then when he was uh, only 28. He was appointed as CUNY's um, vice chancellor of university computer systems, and he was in that job until 1985. Now, Fuchs was inspired to expand the network to other colleges, universities, when he was talking to a college classmate who was working on IBM's VNet system. That is the system that connected all of the IBM locations. They basically put up dial-up connections. These were like... 9,600 baud lines, and they would connect them all, and they and they were able to communicate and do a lot of work, you know, through the IBM VNet network. His friend said, "Hey, you ought to do the same thing for higher education." So Fuchs took the idea to Graydon Friedman, who was the director of computing at Yale, and the idea for BitNet was born. They decided to connect Yale and uh, and and uh, and Cooney up together. With with a basically 9600 uh, bit line and and start the process. They used the same protocol that was used on the IBM machine. So it was basically those. They were probably connecting two IBM mainframes. So they were they were setting up basically a university VNet system that was equivalent to the IBM VNet system. Now now what did BitNet stand for? BitNet stand for because it's there net. Bit because it's there net. That's interesting. But then they thought, well, that sounds kind of stupid. So then, <laughs> then they renamed it because it's time net. Okay. Which one do you think is better? Because I like it's the there, first one. I kind of like it because it's their net. That was the original yeah. idea, and then they, then they tried to become polit- politically correct, I guess. So because it's time net. But I like because it's their net. So that was bit net, and so they ban- began by connecting Yale and Cooney together. And they simultaneously wrote to 40 other universities along the East Coast. And these guys all joined. Now, to join the BitNet, you had to pay for a dedicated line between your school and, uh, and, and another hub. That would be you basically rent a, a 9600 baud line, and you'd connect up. And then you would use the, the VNet software to connect. And then you could, you could actually operate there. Eventually, this thing grew from university to university. The first, they, they, they expanded that out to the West Coast when, when one of the West Coast universities paid for a line all the way from California to New York. And then they expanded all around the West Coast universities. Then they went internationally. Eventually, BitNet connected up to almost 1,400 users uh, of higher education, government labs, and they, they, they even connected up to the IBM VNet network. And so it became quite, quite effective. Now, this did not use... The protocol of the internet, TCP/IP, but it, but it basically gave, it, ba- it, it basically gave a um, a network, a relatively slow network. It was only it was only 9600 baud, and it and it wasn't packet switched. If you would want to to communicate to someone else, say transfer a file, you would transfer the entire file to a node, mm-hmm. and then. That node would store it, and then the node would transfer the entire file to the next node. And it wasn't divided up in packets. It was just like point-to-point transfer. So this was not packet switching, 
but they did use nodes to direct traffic through the network. So they were beginning to get the idea of an Internet. In the mid-'80s, uh, yeah, they connected to 1400. Now, he went on to invent a listserv, which is a, a network list manager. And, and I used to use, I mean, I, I didn't realize, I was on BitNet. I, you know, I was thinking about that. I used to use the listserv. And you'd find, you, you, it was a listing of documents. You could find a document that you'd want to download. And so that was the first network list manager. It was basically a, a, a list of files that were available for download. He also was founder of JSTOR, which is a nonprofit organization dedicated to archiving and accessing important scholarly journals. See, it's called JSTOR, Journal Store, J-S-T-O-R, because, you know, basically academic guys, they don't like to pay the subscription for journals. You know, they want everything free. Of course. So they just, they just, well, so they just, they just. There's, there's an academic discount for everything. Yeah, so they just, they just, they just stored all their scholarly journals themselves, and then they could, you know, skip the, skip the fee. He also <laughs> was a, was a founder of the Advanced Computing Systems Association, USENEX, and, and he was a, he's one of, a founding trustee of the Internet Society. Now, it turned out that BitNet was really popular from, it was started in 1981, and it ended in 1990, about, or 1991. Because remember, the Internet was developed around, uh, you know, it started really expanding around 93, around 85, 86, 87, started expanding. The browser was invented uh, around 94, and so the World Wide Web around 94, 95 is when we saw the World Wide Web. But, but we had uh, packet switch networks, which were which were, you know, on the old ARPANET, were, were basically evolving over in the late 80s. So in the late 80s, everybody transferred, all the universities transferred from BitNet, which was connecting IBM mainframes, to, to the ARPANET, which basically connected Unix machines. And so by 1991, BitNet was almost dead. Mm -hmm. But it was an important precursor to the Internet. From 84 to 89, Mr. Fuchs was president of the BitNet Incorporation. From 89 to 2003, he was president of the Corporation for Research and Educational Networking, CREN, the nonprofit organization that operated BitNet. they got to work on their acronyms. I know. You know, academic guys aren't really good at that. They really aren't. They re now, from 85 to 2000, he was VP for Computer and IT at Princeton University. And then, then in 2000, he went on to become vice president and program officer for research and information technology, the Andrew W. Mellon Foundation, and he gave out a lot of grants all over the world to universities to develop networking technology. Now he's, um, and he, they, they worked on identifying and scaling technology-enabled approaches to help improve college readiness and completion. So he wanted to apply next-gen computer networking and computer technology to education. Now, Fuchs is retired now, and guess what he's doing now in retirement? He's no going idea. back to playing with his ham radio. <laughs> and, and I was reading about him. He says, man, s s ham radio has really changed since then because now you've got, you, you got digital transmission. People are connecting the ham radio into the Internet, and so they're, they're, they're using ham radio for digital packet switching techniques. So he said it's really developed, so now he's, he's back to what he loves to do, play with the ham radio. There you go. Everything you wanted to know about Ira H. Fuchs. The co-founder of BitNet. Hope you were paying attention because your knowledge could land you not 
in detention, but in the lunchroom. It's free lunch coming up when we play the pop quiz here on Tech Talk Radio. Heard every Saturday on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD2, 1039 FM HD2. Watch us do the show. Download the Periscope app to your device. Follow us at WFED Tech Talk. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has experienced IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with excellent Accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Learn more about Stratford's up to $15,000 IT scholarship competition. Application deadline is September 30th for those who qualify. Register today at stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Live from Washington, it's the Stratford University Pop Quiz with Andrew Mitchell, Jim Russ, Featuring Mr. Big Voice. With musical guest, the Stratford University Junkyard Band. And your host, Dr. Richard Schertz. Yes, thank you, thank you. Sit down now. Yes, sit down now. Thank you, thank you. You know, they do exactly the opposite of what you tell them. That's right. No, I I cannot give out any more digital signatures, please. No more digital signatures. No more digital signatures. Now this is not simply this is not simply a radio show. This, no. of course, is a classroom of the airways. In which case, there is a pop quiz. Yes. And if you get the right answer to the pop quiz, you'll get two tickets to fine dining at one of our dining rooms, or and or you will get an A plus for this session of the show. Earlier in the show, we talked about Ira H. Fuchs. He, of course, is best known as co-founder of Bitnet. So the question is, what does Bitnet stand for? Okay. If you know the answer to today's question, please, I'm begging you, pick up the phone and call us now. <clears throat> if you're calling from west of the Rockies, it's 877-936-9333. Dialing from east of Playa del Shirts, Virginia, <clears throat> it's 877-936-9333. If you're trying to tune us in on your ham radio in Canada... Call us on the wildcard line, 877-936-9333. The international line has been a major disappointment, but you can try it anyway, 877-9-3639-333. And if you're trying to reach us from a sailboat in the Grenadines, you can reach us on Skype. Simply connect to Tech Talk Radio 1 and your call will be forwarded to the studio 
free of charge. And Mitchell or Ed Young Professor for Prize Distribution and Crowd Control is standing by to take your call, so dial now. Grenadines, wasn't that a syrup or something like that? No, 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 the Grenadines. That's a little string of islands a, down in the Caribbean. Gotcha. That's right. Okay, so that number again is 877-936-9333. Dial now. <laughs> That's right. It's a little string of islands near Granada. Uh Uh-huh. So they call them the Grenadines. Ah. Scam of the week. Okay. Let's talk about scam of the week. This is battery lifetime estimates. Have you ever noticed that laptops promise these fantastic battery lifetimes, anywhere from 15 to 24 hours, but you're likely to only get 10 hours on them? Now, what's wrong with these things? Uh, Are they lying, or are you just not using your machine properly? Well, manufacturers are not lying. They're just using the most unrealistic benchmark possible. Now, if you look close, the benchmarks always say up to ah, 16 hours. Your mileage may vary. That's right, up to 16 hours. It's like saying it's like your Internet connection, up to 100 megabits per second. You may win up to $1 million. That's right. And so, uh, and so the manufacturers not promise 16 hours. They promise up to 16 hours. So if you get two hours, they're still truthful. Now, actually, what they do, here's the secret. It's all about video playback. It turns out that all of these laptops have basically, um, have basically video, video processors in them. The video processors are very, very low power. So what they do is they turn on a video. Then it, and they start it playing back. They turn the screen down to a very low level. They put the video on repeat. And they just sit there and don't do anything and let the video play. It is the lowest, lowest possible power output because the, the, the video processor hardly uses any power and the screen is very low. And they just let it sit until the laptop dies. And that's what they report as the battery lifetime. Hmm. And in the, if you read the small print, they'll say, this is using a, a video operator. Now, it turns out that if you're doing just regular stuff, it doesn't last that long. Right. So, like, uh, for instance, if you would take a, if you'd use a real benchmark, for instance, let's take the, let's take the Microsoft uh, Surface 2. They claim it as a 17-hour battery life. But Anantech found that if you are browsing the web and just doing normal stuff with it, it lasts 9.7 hours. Hmm. So, they're really not lying. They're just kind of... Bending the truth. Bending the truth, yes. Okay, all right. Wait a minute, where are we? Here we go. You know Ooh. what that means? Oh, yes. That means somebody wants to play our game, and that somebody will be Thomas, who is calling us from Bowie, Maryland. Good morning, Thomas. How are you, sir? Good morning. Yeah. Dr. Schertz, if you will, please ask the question. Yes, early in the show, we talked about Ivor H. Fuchs, of course, the co-founder of BitNet. What does BitNet stand for? Because it's time. That is correct. There we go. Woo-hoo! There we go. We have a winner. Thomas, actually, Dr. Shirts, if you would, please. We just assume people know what they won. Would you tell them what he's won? Yeah, some tickets to fine dining at one of our dining rooms at Stafford University. Okay, yes, Tom- indeed. Thomas, thanks for checking in this Saturday morning. Hang on. We're going to send you back to Andrew. And it is Saturday morning, and you are listening to Tech Talk Radio on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM, 103.5 FM HD 2. 103.9er-FM-HD2, on the web at stratford.edu or federalnewsradio.com. And you can learn more about this program by, uh, actually, you can watch us do the show. Download the Periscope app to your device. Follow us at WFED Tech Talk. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. 
IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has experienced IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with exceptional Accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Learn more about Stratford's up to $15,000 IT scholarship competition. Application deadline is September 30th for those who qualify. Register today at stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. Now let's talk about the streaming deal of the week. Okay. Now this is for students, but listen to this deal. You can get Spotify Premium, Hulu, and Showtime for $5 a month as a bundle. Wow. That's a deal. Mm -hmm. That's only for students, though. Now, um, you know, you basically, Spotify Premium is uh, is normally $10 a month, but you get it for $5 a month. And then it turns out that if you'd want to sign up for Hulu Limited Commercials, that costs $8 a month. And if you'd sign up for Showtime, that's normally $11 a month. So you're, you're talking about something which is normally $28 a month. And they're giving it to you for five bucks. See, I told you there's academic discounts for everything. That there are discounts for now, now. Why are they doing that? Why are they doing this, Doc? It's because college students don't want to pay for anything. College students, <laughs> See? college students are on their parents' Netflix. They think everything online should be free. They think that it is well. They think that f- online streaming content is a right, which is listed in the Constitution. <laughs> You know, so they it might actually be the eleventh commandment. It, it's engraved it, in the that's tablet. That's right. So they think every you know, life, liberty, and the pursuit of free, of free, of, of free, of free streaming material. That's that's what they mm-hmm. feel. So the I. So what what Spotify is hoping is they'll get used to paying something, and then they can start charging a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. So right. that's the idea. Okay. Okay, now let's talk about a problem that confronts many, many people with unusual names. <laughs> people who have an obscene name, and it's just one that they have, it's not really their fault, many times have trouble creating an account. For instance, Natalie Weiner. Natalie Weiner, she's a writer for SB Nation. She tried to set up an account. And they blocked her mm-hmm. because they said her name is an obscene name, Natalie Weiner. Weiner is a very common name. It's a very common name, but she could not set up a Facebook in account, fact, a Twitter account. So she actually had to go in, find a person to talk to, and then she had to verify that that was her real name, and then they would create the account. But it was a huge hassle. And she was quite, quite upset with that. 
So she talked about it on her blog. Mm -hmm. And then she got hundreds of comments because there are many people that have the same plight. Mm. For instance, Kyle Medic, M-E-D-I-C-K. Well, you know, but that sounds like, uh, when you look at it, you see how it's spelled. You I get know, it. But, but they but, M-E-D-I-C-K, call Medic. But when I hear the name Medic, I think of uh, somebody in the medical profession. I know. Right? It, well, it, that's it, crazy. I know, but, they, they, you know, but they, they were blocking that because of the spelling. And poor James Butts. <laughs> I mean, what, what could James Butts do? I mean, that was his name. Uh-huh. But he had to he had to log But he on. had to butt out of the internet. Uh, that's right. No, he he finally had to talk to a person and prove that James Butts was and then we have Matt Cummings. I mean, he he could not see you M M I N G S. He mm-hmm. could not get an account. He had to go in and he's just that's quite another frustrated. Common name. That's right. And then we had Aaron D I K S H S H I T. Not even certain if I can say that last name. Aaron Dixit. Oh, oh, there mean, we go. We there we, we go. You know, it's, it's the guy's name. It's what a, are you going to do? It's Aaron. It, Aaron, it wasn't his fault. No. He was born with that Blame name. Blame his parents. Blame his parents. And so he, he can't get an account. So here's the thing. And so it was, everything was stopped. And they, they uh-huh. had to go. In fact, Clark Icock was another guy. He he actually um, he actually is that his, a, isn't that an Apple Icock, product? A Y <laughs> Clark Icock. So Clark Icock he at his work they would not even create an email account for him because of, because it was blocked by all the porn. You, you're going to run servers. out and buy the Icock eight when That's we get off the, right. air at the Apple That's Store, right? right? Okay, so all of these sites, they, they try to get algorithms set up that use automated methods to kind of block people that just make you know obscene names because. You know, you know, kids will do that. They'll just well, make up course. an art scene. You know, it's kind of fun. And so they, they Amanda block hug and kiss. You That's know, right. I mean. <laughs> and so the thing is, that is the. And so they automate it so that 99.9% of the accounts can be automatically created without a delay. Uh-huh. But that means the tenth of the people, or the hundredth percent of a people that are actually blocked because of pornography in their name have to talk to a person. So they take care of the 99.9% and the tenth of a percent just just have to do it. You know, maybe what they ought to do is they ought to go to the DMV and get them as consultants because they have to go through the, uh, you know, the personalized license plates and That's make right. sure that they're not um, obscene. That's right. It's the same kind of deal. So I'm offering this discussion simply to know that we co- we commiserate with you we can feel we can feel your pain. I think you need to start a support group. We can feel your pain. A support group for pornographic names. I know that would be an excellent I, idea. I know somebody named Wiener and she has I'll have to ask her if she had any trouble setting up her um setting uh, up her, Yeah, her, ask her about she's that. She's got a Twitter page. I mean, even you know, why I started thinking about this was because even the profile in IT, Ira Fuchs. Yes. I'm thinking he would have trouble even getting get, even getting an account for himself. I think he would. And you know what? I was telling you before the show that I have uh, re- relatives on my mother's side that have the same the name spelled the same way. They pronounce it Fuchs. But you would be surprised. I can imagine how many people would mess that up. I know. Yeah. Oh well. Now new iPhones are on the way. You know when I when I you know when I jumped in the water that few weeks ago and i just you know ruined my iphone 6 i just replaced it with an iphone 6 because i wanted to wait for the new iphones because i've been waiting around to try to see what they're going to do i didn't want to get an iphone 10 i thought it was too expensive so now on september 12th is the iphone keynote day they and they should start shipping a couple of days later and so according to redditor apple has hired almost all available air transport out of china for a few weeks 
and the iPhone is the only explanation. It's reserved almost all the air freight from China wow. for the upcoming product launch. The 2018 iPhone should be more affordable than the 2017. They're looking at having all iPhones with Face ID for as low as $699, but, that's, but you'll have an LCD screen, liquid crystal display screen. The more expensive ones have the organic LED screen. And that, like the what do I, they have now? The well, I, iPhone X is organic LED. That's why it's so expensive. OLED. But the everything else is an like LCD. Like the I, iPhone six is an LCD. Okay. And the uh, I and I think the iPhone X is an organic LED, and that's what kicked the price up because uh, Samsung was charging an arm and a leg for that, and and uh, Apple is trying to get another another provider for organic LED. When you say September twelfth is the keynote date, that's when they're going to roll it out, and it's, they're going to no, they, they did that whole dog and pony it's, show. It's and, when it's when they go to the Steve Jobs auditorium and say, "And I've and got another thing," mm-hmm. and then they ship, <laughs> and they've got a they ship two and days that, later, and that way they're all they're over here from China ready to. Roll. That's right. So they're then so they and they start shipping two days after the big keynote date. Don't they usually roll this out in September? Isn't they it? always. Why do they do that? Do you know? It's always in September, and this is always it's a TikTok. So this is the S version. So they're thinking that it's going to be iPhone XS, iPhone XS. 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 I thought, I thought because the X was was such a miserable failure that, that they were going to get rid of. So that's they, that's the big. Okay, that's didn't the they big, skip? That's, they skipped nine. They didn't skipped they? nine. So they're so they're thinking maybe the cheaper version will be the nine, and then they'll have the XS. So I mean, but people are already making fun. They're always saying iPhone extra small XS. So they're, <laughs> they're already making jokes about it. So uh, they're looking at the iPhone X successor. The XS will be nine ninety nine. It'll be the same price. So get ready by you know just very soon we're going to know but exactly that was what the problem with the original iPhone X was that it was a thousand dollars. It was a thousand dollars. But you see what they're doing there. They, they think the seven hundred dollar one is going to be the big seller. They think eighty percent of the sales are going to be at mm-hmm. six ninety nine. That's what they're. That's what they're really thinking. That's because. Actually, the price point of a thousand is just a little too high. It is a little bit too high. Now, the the size of these, they're things, they're the same size. The same size as the six. Same size as the six. It's 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 the it's what they're doing. They're just you know in the normal S tick the the talk the talk of the tick. They're they're basically just improving internals. And normally, uh, when they have the S come out, they don't change the external form factor, but they change a lot of the internals. The, now, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yep. So we'll wait to see what they're going to do. It'll be interesting to see what's going on. Mm-hmm. And I think they're also going to come out with a, a big, big upgrade on the Apple Watch. Oh. Yeah. That, but, that, you know, that was something a couple of years ago you told people that they should wait on. Yeah. It, it's now gotten pretty useful. They now have 41% of the, of the, of the, of the wearables market, watch mm-hmm. wearables market. They've just, they, they dominate. Now, Japan is testing a mini a space elevator. I have music for that, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, of course, we've talked about the space elevator before. This is really uh, this is really an idea that that dates back many, 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 many years. Uh, it was actually first proposed in 1895 by Russian scientist Konstantin Chilkovsky. That long ago. Yeah, after he saw the Eiffel Tower in Paris, it was laser, later revisited a century later by Arthur C. Clarke. Now, the idea of the space elevator is that you take and tether a satellite to a, to a wire that's connected to the equator of the Earth. Mm-hmm. And the wire goes out, you know, 
to ge geosynchronous orbit, you know, 20, you know, 22, 22,000 miles out. And as the Earth spins around and you've got this weight at the end of the wire through centrifugal force, the wire is held up. And then you simply put a cabin on the wire and you just go up and down the wire and you've got a space elevator. It takes you all the way to outer space and it's held up by centrifugal force. Now, this was the idea. It was sort of a fantastic idea. But the problem is... <laughs> it's a lot of wire. No, the, well, the problem is that we don't have wires that are, that are strong enough because, because the weight of the cable is so great compared to the... And then you've got the force of the satellite pulling it out that just the weight of the cable, there was nothing that was strong enough that could actually, that could actually handle this. And so we had to wait for the development of new cable technology, and they believe that we're going to have some new cable technology called carbon nanotube technology. Carbon nanotubes are very ex extremely strong. They're 20 times stronger than steel. And it's possible, to, to, it's possible then to build a shaft that goes all 60,000 miles above the Earth. That's, wow. what, that's what they're shooting for. And, and they think with, with 25 more more uh, 25 times stronger than the steel and it's also very light that they may be able to do it so that's what they're working on but they're trying to get a proof of principle so because you've got to start small so what they're doing japan is starting small that they, they, they want to see they want to test the space elevator transport system so they're sending up two satellites one satellite is further out than the other one and they connect between they connect the two with a cable which is uh, 10 meters long and they've got a little uh, a little box that travels along the cable from one from one satellite to the other one. So they're creating a space elevator that is 10 meters long. So this is like a very small ap application, but they're testing the transport it's like method. A space step stool. It's a space and the and the little box that they're transporting is only six centimeters. It's 2.4 inches on a side. So it's certainly not big enough to, to go in. So this is a very I'd say this is a mini step, a micro mm -hmm. step. And they believe that they can actually feel the space elevator by 2050. Really? Yeah. And what are they waiting on? The, nan the nanotube cable. Mm -hmm. the, the carbon nanotube so cable. So how do you keep things from running into it? Like jets. And Well, that's the second problem. <laughs> because that is, that is a secondary problem. Because then, you know, of course, if a jet, you're going up there and a jet breaks your carbon nanotube cable, you just fall to the earth. Well, I'm more worried about the jet shearing off a wing and falling back to earth. That's what I'm, you know. Yeah. I, because, it, uh, frankly, that, I mean, is, that is a problem. Is the, is, now, uh, would the cable be there even if there's nothing on it? Or yeah. The, the cable, the cable, the, na the, the cable fixed, goes from the equator up to the satellite. And it stays there? It just stays there motionless, and and it's and the the satellite is geo, it's orbiting in a geosynchronous orbit, so the cable just is is going up vertically, and it mm -hmm. just stays there. And you can run stuff up and down it. And you can run stuff up and down it. But, but there it, has to be the satellite on the other end. There has to be a weight on the other mm -hmm. end. Yeah, there's a weight on the other end because it's holding it up by geosynchronous orbit, and it but it would but you it's such a long distance it probably takes three days to get into outer space because you're, wow. you're going fairly slow mm -hmm. so you, you get on the little elevator it's probably like a little hotel you get up there and you just you know you sit there in the bar for three days you know you, you and, you, <laughs> and you've, you've you got a nice view of the and then you go on up and then you're down now these guys are planning to make a a tourist attraction where people can take the space well, elevator up they can they can stay course. up there at night and they come back down that that's the idea top of the world <laughs> that's that's the idea but but you're going to have to make the space elevator area a no fly zone 
I mean, it's going to... they will have they're, to they're illuminate gonna... it or something, and then there's going to be all this furor over this big lighted thing that's... That's yeah. right. That is the I mean, truth. I mean, how, <laughs> it's the only way you're going to be able to see it is to have lights and stuff that's on That's right. It. Now, why is this space elevator idea important? It, because it reduces the cost of taking product into space. And so that enables us to actually send... Uh, to send rocket ships to other planets at a relatively low cost because it's the, it's the launch cost. It's mm-hmm. the es- getting through the escape velocity that's the expensive part of the deal. So you can basically transport up to essentially an international space station, and you don't have to launch up. So it's a very, very low cost to get into space. So there's huge potential there, but a great technological challenge. Yes. Now the U.S. is finally going to charge North Korea for the Sony breach and the WannaCry virus. Department of Justice plans to charge North Korean threat actors, as they call them. These are like these are like guys that work for the North Korean government in their involvement in two major cyber attacks. The Department of Justice is preparing to charge North Korean hackers for the 2014 cyber attack and the March 2017 WannaCry attack, which was a global ransomware campaign. A New York Times report on the indictment, says the U.S. government has long had the, the suspect, North Korean spy Pak Jin Hwak, on its radar. Intelligence officials believe that Pak worked with the North Korean Reconnaissance General Bureau, the equivalent of North Korea CIA, and that he was responsible for WannaCry as well as a lot of Bangladesh bank thefts. He had, but Now, the interesting thing, he did his hacking from a hotel in China. Hmm. <laughs> he was North Korean, but he did his hacking from China. Hmm. The indictment was delayed by the, the, the New York Times said because much of the incriminating information that officials wanted to use was classified and could not be used. Now, Reuters reports that DOJ is going to uh, is going to charge multiple North Korean hackers for both of those attacks. It also states charges are part of the U.S. government strategy to prevent future cyber attacks by publicly identified threat agents. Now, have you ever tried to call back a private number? Aren't you kind of frustrated when you get like a yeah. private call? Yes. And it's blocked. And you want to fear who it is. Here's the so thing. You tell them not to call again. No. You can actually go star 69, which is call back the previous number, and it will call back that number. You can do that on a cell phone, too? You can do it on, on a cell phone. Normally, you might have to use p- pound 69. Uh-huh. It's either pound 69 or star 69, depending on your carrier. And they normally keep track of the... Of the last phone call for about 30 seconds. No kidding. So you've got to be fast. You've got to be fast, star sick, and call them and say, Who is this? But you want to be careful that you're not calling back a spammer because then they say, Hey, that's an active number. You'll get more phone calls. Listen, we love your emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu. We'll get back to you immediately. And also check out the programs that Stratford University offers. Go to stratford.edu. Check out those programs and tell them that you heard about them on Tech Talk Radio. Tech Talk Radio is sponsored by Stratford University. For more information on courses at Stratford University, call 1-800-444-0804. Thanks for listening to Tech Talk Radio Online.